Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. This episode is entitled ISS Recommendations and Compensation Practices. Our special guest on this episode is Susanna Galani, Assistant Professor of Business Administration, Harvard Business School. Professor Galani specializes in manager incentives, motivation, and performance management. She is the co-author of a recent paper entitled, Are ISS Recommendations Informative? Evidence from Assessments of Compensation Practices. The new paper examines whether the research recommendations by institutional shareholder services on company say-on-pay proposals identify poor compensation practices. Among the paper's findings, ISS against recommendations on say-on-pay proposals are associated with worse future accounting performance, consistent with ISS being able to detect suboptimal compensation packages. Welcome, Professor. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. Professor, many investors, including CII members, see value in seeking expert independent research advice as one means to help them determine how to vote on companies' say-on-pay proposals. But some companies, on the other hand, complain when those experts recommend against their compensation practices. ExxonMobil, for example, in a letter to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, described ISS's recommendations on executive compensation as, quote, anchored in a one-size-fits-all compensation model for all companies that is inadequate for multifaceted shareholder decisions like the say-on-pay vote, unquote. Against this backdrop, your paper examines an important question for investors. Does ISS's proxy research actually identify low-quality compensation practices? Can you explain how you looked at this question and what you found? Well, Jeff, my co-authors, who are Anna Albuquerque and Mary Ellen Carter and I, were intrigued by the same contrast you just described. On the one hand, proxy advisory firms are criticized, sometimes pretty harshly, especially by the firms they opine upon. Academics are also generally pretty critical of proxy advisors. As we described in the paper, esteemed colleagues of ours present some strong evidence that ISS policies and recommendations are non-value added at best and sometimes even value-destroying. On the other hand, however, investors, and especially those that are highly diversified, like pension funds, etc., tend to rely on the advice of ISS and similar companies. This is particularly evident in some of the common letters that are filed when the SEC considers regulatory actions that attempt to restrict the activity of proxy advisors. So you mentioned the comment letters that the companies are sending, but there are also comment letters of investors that are defending um, the proxy advisors against the new regulatory provisions. So our question was, if proxy advisory firms are really value destroying and in quotes, don't know what they're doing, end quote, then why is it that their services are still in high demand and their clients go out of their way to defend them against regulatory changes? Proxy advisory firms have been around for a long time. And if their services were really as bad as some think, why should they still be in business? That was kind of the question that inspired our research. So we decided to look at this question a little bit differently than what our colleagues have done before. Our question is pretty simple in the end. Is ISS able to discern better compensation proposals from worse ones? Now, one challenge that we have in research all the time 
is that there is no easy benchmark for good compensation. So we had to work around that. We thought, if compensation is designed to, do, to drive the executive to make good decisions in running the firm, then it should be reflected in good performance, which we measure with accounting performance, as you mentioned, so return on assets. So in the end, we looked at how ISS assessments of executive compensation are associated with ROA. Now, interestingly, when we looked at the entire sample of our firms, keep in mind that we have uh, firms from the Russell 3000 that we follow for a period of eight consecutive years, we found no particular association between the ISS recommendations and assessments and uh, ROI. So we couldn't really determine whether ISS was good or not at discerning good compensation practices from bad ones. We dug a little bit deeper in our sample, and we decided to look at a phenomenon called workload compression. So in other words, when ISS is busier in certain time of the year compared to others. So we partitioned our sample based on the fiscal year end of the firms that are included in the Russell 3000. And so we had two subsamples. One, which is about three quarters of our observation, is um, comprised by the firms that have a fiscal year end in December. The other one is firms that have a fiscal year end in any other month. Now, there's nothing magical about having a fiscal year end in December or not, other than maybe the industry you belong to. For example, we know that retail companies tend to have a fiscal year end at the end of January. So we took that into account. We didn't want that to be uh, what drove our results. And so we controlled for the industry that the firms belong to. And what we found is that ISS seems to be good at discerning good compensation practices from bad ones when the fiscal year end of the company is not in December. So what we concluded from this is that ISS does a better job in what we would call the off-season. When they have more bandwidth and they can um, devote better or, or greater resources to analyze the proxy statement. Think about this. ISS promises a very quick turnaround for some of their assessments. Uh, we don't have just the recommendations for the say on pay in our, um, in our data. We also have the uh, sub-components of that assessment. So the levels of concern and a quality score, which is kind of a relative uh, evaluation of the whole compensation package compared to peer firms. And some of these assessments are promised to be delivered in a very short term, like 72 hours or something like that after the proxy statement becomes available. Now, if 75% of the firms that end their fiscal year end in December, now all these proxy statements will be released all around the same time, which is about March and April time. And that is what we find in, in, the, in the data as well. The, the vast majority of the proxy statements are released in March and April of every year. Now, in those months, we know from other research done by, by colleagues, colleagues of ours that ISS outsources part of their workload to external and, and advisors and, and analysts that are hired on a temporary basis. So what we believe our results suggest is that during the busy season, the average quality of the ISS assessment is lower because it is outsourced to resources that may not have the same level of expertise 
or may not have the same level of commitment to the company. We don't know exactly what the reason is. But what we see in the data is that when ISS is busier, they tend to perform at a lower quality in their assessment. Professor, I want to quote from one of the findings in your paper and ask for you to explain it. Quote, there is not a one-for-one correspondence between the recommendation and the passage of the SOP ballot item. We exploit this discordance to evaluate whether shareholders perform better evaluations of pay practices relative to ISS. We find that ISS unfavorable assessments are consistently associated with poor performance independently from the outcome of the say on pay vote, unquote. Professor, could you unpack Professor, could you unpack that for me? Does that mean that shareholders don't always vote consistent with ISS advice on say on pay votes, but when they do, they're better off? Well, yes, yes and no. We have some new results that actually attenuate this statement a little bit. So here's how we went about it. We know anecdotally and from prior research that many institutional investors devote a lot of resources to do their own analysis of the compensation packages in the firms they invest into. Based on their own research, they may or may not reach the same conclusion as ISS on whether they want to vote in favor or not of the same pay vote. We were curious to find, like you're suggesting, who is right when the shareholders and ISS don't agree. When we look at cases in which shareholders disagree with ISS, we find that when ISS recommends against the say on pay package, but the say on pay vote passes, the return on asset of the firms in this particular situation is really not statistically different, on average, of course, from that of firms for which both ISS and shareholders agree that the proposed compensation package is not good. So neither one supports it. So let me say this again, this is kind of uh, then. So when we look at companies in which ISS and shareholders both believe that the compensation proposal is not good, and we compare that the performance of those companies with companies where ISS recommends against the compensation proposal, but the say on pay vote still passes, so it is supported by shareholders, we find that the performance is not that different among this, uh, across these two groups. So this conclusion would uh, be in line with what you were suggesting in your question, which is, well, maybe shareholders should listen more to ISS and they should be um, uh, more in line with the recommendations in their voting practices. That being said, however, in the last few weeks, now keep in mind this is still a working paper, so we're still doing a lot of analysis to improve our findings. We've dug a little bit more into this part of the study, and in particular, we have analyzed this disagreement situations that involve big mutual funds, uh, in particular, what are known now as the big three, so BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. And we found that when ISS disagrees with them, actually the mutual funds are more right than ISS. And we explain this and we interpret this 
based on the fact that we know that large mutual funds, large sophisticated institutional investors, devote a lot of resources into doing their own research. So to summarize, we exploit this idea that shareholders and ISS may not agree on the quality and the appropriateness of the compensation package. And we find that on average, ISS seems to be more able at discerning good from bad compensation practices. However, sophisticated large institutional investors that are known to put a lot of resources in their own research actually seem to have better performance than ISS in this particular case. Professor, last year, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission took a series of actions to change the way that proxy advisors operate, including by proposing a rule that would require proxy advisors to provide companies two rounds of review of draft proxy research and the right to require the proxy advisor to include a link to the company's perspective in the proxy advice. The rule would also codify a new interpretation of existing proxy rules, which the commission asserts may make proxy advisors liable to companies for, among other things, opinions and beliefs that companies disagree with. Most investors strongly oppose the rule proposal in part because it mandates that ISS and other proxy advisory firms devote significant resources to permitting corporations the ability to provide input on their research. Most investors believe complying with the proposal, particularly during the busy proxy season, would reduce the timeliness and independence of the research and increase the cost of the research to institutional investor clients of proxy advisory firms. What does your research show regarding the impact of mandating additional processes and procedures on ISS and other proxy advisory firms during the proxy season? Well, Jeff, uh, while I can understand the concern about the new regulations leading to lower independence in the proxy advisor's assessment, our research cannot really say much about that because we really don't have any visibility in our data about whether proxy advisors are biased or not in the recommendations. Generally speaking, having more opportunities for a dialogue between the firm and the proxy advisor is not necessarily a bad thing. The tricky part, as always, is finding the line between allowing for a more informed evaluation by the proxy advisor and introducing bias and potentially even collusion in the relation. This is kind of an age-old problem in many professional services. In research, for example, we see this problem being addressed in the audit services, for example. Uh, in sum, our work does not say much about this particular part of the problem. However, what our research does suggest is that adding more steps in the assessment process by the proxy advisor might actually exacerbate the detrimental effect of workload compression or busyness, in quotes, which we find in our paper. In particular, at least in the short term, we worry that proxy advisors might be forced to outsource even more of their workload in the busy season because they have a compressed time frame to do more than they did before. In that case, it is possible, if our research is uh, correct, that the quality of the recommendations might degrade even more. Of course, it is entirely possible that if the regulation passes, proxy advisory firms might simply have to add more capacity and therefore cost to um, 
face the new workload, in which case the, there may or may not be any impact on the quality of their recommendations and assessments. That concludes this podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Susanna Galani, Assistant Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.